Welcome everyone to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Newfie, your host, and today I'm I'm it's it it's a great pleasure to have a conversation with uh, Marlon Bowling. So, how's things going? Well, Paul, so far so good in 2024. It's it's quite a change for me, as you know. I'm uh, oh, just transitioning into a new role now, and I'm sure and, we'll and be it, talking it, about it, that yes, moving forward. Certainly, we will be talking about that. So uh, now I'm here in Parker, Colorado, and the weather report says we might have a foot of snow or we might have no snow. So uh, I would not call that much of a weather projection. But uh, how how's the how's the weather in your neck of the woods? Well, I was just outside a little bit ago, and it was in the uh, mid to upper 60s, so it was actually pretty comfortable for a change. You know, we had to endure that uh, wintry weather here a couple of weeks ago, and it was real unusual. I'm I'm uh, in the Nashville, Tennessee area, and uh, boy, I tell you what, a couple of weeks ago, it got down below zero. We had about eight inches of snow. It was uh, fairly dire for this yeah. part of the country there for a while. Snow is all gone, of course, now, and and it's uh, finally starting to get fairly comfortable outside, although I know we'll probably have a couple of blasts of winter coming back yet. I remember I was at Commodity Classic in Nashville, I'm going to say, what, about 10, 12 years ago, and we had a tornado, tornado warning, and we had to go downstairs in the Grand Old Opry, or with uh, the, not the Grand Old Opry, but the uh, what is it? The Gaylord Resort. So yeah, uh, the Opera Land Hotel. Yeah. Yeah. So so you you do get some weird weather there. Of course, all of us across the country get some weird weather once in a while. So uh, um, as we always do on these uh, uh, podcasts, we always like to start off with your background. So let's go where you grew up in college and your first uh, first starts to your career and so on. Well, um, I always tell everybody I had a long and winding road. It sounds like an old Beatles song, but it's it's very true in my case. Um, I actually kind of took over the family farm business. My dad retired. I was the youngest of all of us siblings by far. The rest of them were all gone uh, and on their own when he retired. He turned uh, 65 when I was just 17. I hadn't mm. even graduated high school quite yet. Uh, so I was a senior in high school. And and um, that fall, I put in my first wheat crop. Um, so I actually went straight from high school into uh, running a farm operation, a family farm operation. I did try to go to a, a Votech. I went there in uh, Beloit, Kansas for a while, took production ag. And it was just kind of ironic because I knew I was going to get into farming eventually anyway. Um, <laughs> originally, I tried to get into uh, computer science, but that was when, uh, you know, the old Apple IIs were yeah, again, very yeah, popular and all yeah. that. And I tried to get into uh, Votech to take computers and uh, they had a two-year waiting list. Uh, couldn't even get into a class. There were books so full. Hmm. So then I decided, well, I, I know more about farming anyway. And, and uh, so I went that direction, took production ag, and it turned out we had three hours of class in the morning. And in the afternoon, we had to go work for um, a partner uh, farm operation in the area around that Votech there. And they just drew names out of a hat to assign uh, pupils with the uh, farmers that were going to be their mentors around that area 
turned out the uh, the name they pulled out of the hat for me was the furthest one. It was like 26 miles one way to get there. And uh, we got paid $1.60 an hour. And basically, when I went out there, I mean, I loved the family and everything, but basically I was like their hired hand for the <laughs> afternoon and evening. And I'd go out and climb in a tractor and, and disc yeah, or, or run a uh, spring tooth or something or get the ground ready to drill weed or whatever. And I thought, you know, after a, a semester of that, I thought, well, you know, I learned a lot from the class, but I thought I might as well do it for myself. <laughs> yeah, if that's the case. So I went home, put in my first crop and, um, uh, oh, and, you know, long story short, it, it turned out my dad ended up uh, with dementia and, and things kind of went downhill from there. And, and, uh, so we kind of eased into that and, as I was taking over, you know, I had to buy all my farm equipment in 1979 and 80. You can about imagine what that was like. Yeah. Yeah. That was the days of 18% interest. And, um, you know, everything a year later was upside down two to one. So, um, you know, after 25 years, I just, uh, I had tried out, um, I was active in the farm bureau, the local County farm bureau there for several years, and I got to where I was starting to do some local radio um, broadcast segments for weekly updates on what our Farm Bureau was doing. And it was more, you know, they were topic related, but I would record them at home and drive them down to a radio station 20 miles away and, and they would air them. Well, I did that for a couple of years and the Kansas Farm Bureau found out about it. And um, there was a station in Kansas that had just changed ownership. It was taken over by... Uh, a farmer hmm. who had inherited some ground and uh, it was a station KFRM an AM station in Northeast Kansas. And it had a pretty good sized territory, even though it was 5,000 Watts. Um, it was pointed toward the Southwest toward New Mexico. And it, it covered most of Kansas and a good share of Oklahoma and little bits of New Mexico and, and Southwest Nebraska and sort and that sort of thing. So I, I actually, <clears throat> they invited me to try out for that. And, and I did a live read for them uh, or a rip and read, I guess you would call it. And um, they offered me a job for the midday, which I was surprised at, um, but I took it. But to do it, I had to commute a hundred miles a day and I was still farming full time. Oh, that doesn't sound like fun, Marlon. Yeah. So we did that for about two years and um, then eventually it got to where, uh, my mom was starting to get in declining health. And, and so I had a chance to, um, get into, uh, I set up my own agriculturally based website called worldwideag.net. Some folks may remember that. And for a while, I was the only one in the nation that was broadcasting ag news and weather and markets specifically and exclusively on a website. I mean, I didn't have a radio or a TV outlet or anything but I was doing everything from my home studio and I did that for a couple of years. About what, Eventually what, what? I got an offer to move out to the Southern farm network in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I moved away from the farm, turned it over to my brother and nephews. They took it over and, and I went into full-time broadcasting. When, when were you doing the, the worldwide ag uh, on the web? What, what years was that? Oh, I would have started that. I think it was in 1999. Oh, that, that is that, that's back in the wild, wild west of the internet. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, 
In fact, there's there's more to the story to that that uh, drove me to do that. But uh, let's just say I had offered to do audio uh, broadcasts for another company that everybody would know. And uh, I offered to do that for them because everything they had posted up to that point was in print. Mm. And I said, you know what? I know how to do it in audio. I know how to put the files on a, on a web server. And I could actually talk to people on their own computer at home. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they talked to their engineers about it. And they <laughs> they came back after about two weeks and they said, you know what? This is the internet. And the internet is uh, text-based. <laughs> they said, you're talking about a whole different kind of media. And they said, we don't think that'll ever catch on. So, yeah, well, yeah. so they said, if you, if you think you know how to do that, you just go right ahead and do that. So you did and it. I kind of took the spurs to me. So I took the next six months and taught myself how to do web programming. And, and, uh, you know, I already had my own home studio, uh, from that initial radio station that last year I worked there, I, they set me up to work remotely from home with all the new digital equipment they had then. And so I did that and I've had a home studio since 1998, I believe. Mm, mm. And that's, that's where I'm operating now. Um, you know, from North Carolina, I worked there several years and then I bounced back to Western Nebraska to KRVN and the rural radio network. That was a huge flamethrower station and network. And uh, then I had a chance. I got invited by Mark Oppold here at uh, RFD TV in Nashville to uh, fill an opening here in Nashville. But he said, I, I was interested in the Sirius XM side because mm -hmm. I love the radio side. Yeah, yeah. He said, the only, the only problem is you have to do TV. And I begged him not to make me do that. I said, oh, please, please, I don't want to do TV. And uh, he finally came up with the argument that, well, all right, you like radio. Think of it this way. It's just you're doing radio, but you're just looking at a black box. There's nobody there. Yeah. And he finally talked me into trying it. And uh, I found out it wasn't so bad after all. So I was there for 10 years till I left. Uh, um, January 12th was my last day there. And now I'm off on my own working for uh, the Comstock channel, but I can work from my home studio. Now, just for those listeners out there that may or may not know what you did on RFD TV. So what was your role on, on the channel? Okay. So um, in my last couple of radio jobs and that spilled over into my tv work in nashville uh, i covered the commodity markets and a lot of people misunderstood what i did they thought oh you're another stock market analyst you know reporter and i always told them no 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 i i talk about commodities that's like the wild west you know stocks you can you can buy stocks and you can lose your whole investment commodities you can you can invest in commodities and lose several times your investment. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you can, you can lose that in a hurry. It's so highly leveraged and it's, uh, it's, it's wild, but it's exciting and it never changes. Every day is different. Yep. And, uh, that was really appealing to me and it's, it's not too hard, you know, to, uh, get enthused about the market action when it, you know, sometimes it'll whipsaw limit up and down on the yep. same day. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. And as a past producer myself, um, I always considered my mission. If I can help somebody out there anywhere in the audience, if I can help give them a little tidbit of information that they can use to 
help them improve their bottom line so they can stay afloat or they can make a profit and not have to go the hard, through the hardships that I did on a small farm and I just couldn't hang on any longer. You know, that's my mission that I will do. And I still hold that to this day. That's what I strive to do in all of my current podcasts and that sort of thing. I, I always try and take it with an angle of how is this going to help my audience to run a better business or make a few extra dollars or maybe be a better marketer, you know, maybe gain that extra five cents on your marketing, something like that, whatever it takes. And it can be, it can be talking about politics or exports or agronomy, you know, you name it. Yep. And I'll go there and I'll talk to people about that just to bring everything home to the broader point of, I want everybody to be able to stay on that family farm and make it work. Now, so you were doing that for about 10 years and your last day you said was January 12th. So what was, or what was the decision or why did you leave RFT TV and doing what you're doing now? So just, just fill the audience in on that. <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot to it, but, uh, basically I, I did turn 65 late last year and so I had a decision to make, you know, um, at this point, when I was working at RFD TV, it was kind of like back at my first radio job. Um, I chose to find a place to live out in Tennessee that was in a fairly small town. I'll put that in air quotes. You can't see it here. But anyway, it, it kind of reminded me of where I came from back in the plains. You go across the street from where I live and there's a cornfield over there. Yep. And, you know, farm trucks go by here and stuff like that. It, it just has that rural town feel to it. But to find that, it's about 45 or 50 miles away from Nashville. So I always had a one-hour commute into work and a one-hour commute back from work and driving through rush hour both directions. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there were some days that I, it took me two and a half hours to get home from work. And yeah. it just, it was so stressful that, uh, you know, once I turned 65 and I already had a home studio here anyway, um, you know, I had spoken with the folks at Comstock and we kind of came to an agreement that, you know, maybe there's some synergy there. Maybe I can use my assets that I have at home to help them do what my mission has always been to present some information to people out there. And in this case, it can be globally and try and help out people if I can, but I don't have to travel to do it instead of commuting hundred miles a day. Now I can commute 40 feet. Yep. Yep. And I yep. like that idea. Yeah. I think my commute is about uh, closer to 55 feet, I think, but uh, <laughs> I, I have a similar commute, you know, from the bedroom to the, uh, to the little home office. And I guess it's a little bit of a studio, you know, I got a sure microphone and I got, you know, a headset and so on, but yours is probably a little bit more elaborate than mine is. Well, I keep changing things around and, and uh, now since I'm going into video mode and doing video podcasts, I, I had to set up a little backdrop and some lighting and that sort of thing, which is a little different, but you know, to me, every job I've had over the course of the last, oh, we'll call it 27 years, I always picked up little tidbits of, you know, pointers of things to do when you put together a broadcast. You know, I, I learned a lot from my first radio station about timing and all that sort of thing. Uh, the next job that was a network job out on the East coast. And I learned how critical it is to, you know, hit your mark on timing. And, and you know, uh, in that case, 
I had to accept the fact that I wasn't talking to a rural audience anymore. Yeah. I was giving ag news uh, to a, a large extent, but uh, I figured 85% or 90% of my audience was urban. Well, why would they care about what I was talking about with ag stuff? So I had to make that connection in all my stories as to, well, why would somebody out here in the city care about a case of mad cow in Canada? You know, how does yeah. that impact them? And I always had to bring those points together and connect all the dots for everybody. And then they, they could say, oh, now I get it. So I'm going to have to pay for that at, at the retail counter, you know, that sort of thing. So, but the other half of the story, when I worked out in Raleigh, um, yeah, I worked for the Southern Farm Network there, but half of my duty, <laughs> believe it or not, was being a hard news reporter and anchor. And so I was doing um, the world news on the morning drive on a big news talk station there. So I would go record 13 shows in the morning for the Southern Farm Network, upload them to the affiliates, step out of that studio into what was the state's largest newsroom and then gather stuff together. And uh, within about 15 minutes, I had to go do my first uh, local news, hard news broadcast during drive time. And so I would be talking about cotton, tobacco and peanuts in one room. Then I would come out and step into the newsroom and I'd have to talk about, uh, you know, something involving Muammar Gaddafi. Yeah. Or uh, something with the, you know, U.S. Defense Department or something like that. It was kind of mind blowing, you know, all the hats you had to wear and just go back and forth uh, with your areas of interest for your audience out there. But you had to know something about all of that. Well, then you're you a had to be a giant sponge. Yeah. Then you're a farm boy from Kansas going yeah. there and you have no idea what peanuts, tobacco and cotton are at that point. No, so you had to learn that's that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, I I had never seen any of them. That was what was so weird for me. Huge learning curve because we grew corn, um, uh, wheat, milo, soybeans, Christmas trees. We grew popcorn. Uh, we had some alfalfa for a few years. I had a few uh, cattle and calves. But then I moved out there and like you say, cotton, tobacco and peanuts. And I'd never even seen any of them before. And that's what I had to talk about. Plus, yeah. Uh, confinement hog and poultry operations, which I'd never really seen either to any great extent. So that was, that was kind of mind blowing to move out there. So uh, that was kind of a rough six months to get used to everything. Yeah. yeah. But that introduced me to a lot of uh, power players in the ag industry too. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of uh, farmers in the Midwest, uh, some realize it, but I think a lot of them don't realize how big of a hog state North Carolina is. I mean, it's a huge hog state. I mean, it's not as yeah. big as Iowa and maybe Minnesota and Illinois, but it's not too far behind. Yeah, it had been just a few years before that when they had um, all those twin hurricanes that went through there. And I remember back when I was a broadcaster in Kansas, watching on the uh, national news coverage of the uh, hog houses out in North Carolina that had water up to the roofs. Yeah. And they had hogs standing on the roofs trying to find somewhere to not drown. Yeah. And I never dreamed I would be working out there. So <laughs> it, it's kind of weird how that all came around. Well, and, and I guess you haven't gone back to Kansas. You're still in uh, Tennessee, but uh, is that east of, of Nashville or what direction from Nashville would it be? You mean where I am now? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm actually, oh, I'd say about two or three miles from the Kentucky border. 
Okay, so you're more north uh, from Nashville yeah. then. So, uh, so okay, good, good. So for me, it's a nice fit. Uh, Paul, when I moved out to North Carolina, I mean, that was a long ways away from my roots in Kansas and Nebraska, where my siblings and most of my relatives are there. But, you know, I went out there, then I moved back to Western Nebraska to work at that network. And now I'm in Nashville. And so when I was in North Carolina, all of my, uh, I had three daughters and they, they all grew up and graduated college. They all ended up getting married and having kids out there. So now they're all based in North Carolina. Yeah. The rest of my family is all back in Kansas and Nebraska. And so here I sit almost exactly in the middle of all of them. So I kind of split the difference. <clears throat> I'm not close to anybody, <laughs> but on the other hand, I, I'm not a long ways away from any of them really. Yeah. And remember those grandkids are the most important. I think I think well, there you go. Uh, yeah. We all agree on that. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but one of my sayings, and it's probably been said before, but I, I, I pretend like I came up with it. I go, you know, kids are the necessary evil to get grandkids. So, uh, you right. Know, but, yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what exactly then are you doing for Comstock? Okay. So, um, I'm in the process of, I'm doing daily podcasts for them. Sometimes they can be market oriented. A lot of times they are maybe ag interest oriented. For example, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been doing some reports. Uh, Comstock does an annual farm tour in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And that just wrapped up for this year. They've been down there for a couple of weeks. And so I was talking with some folks about what they found out down there. We got some boots on the ground updates direct from Brazil. It's kind of cool how with the internet, I could do live interviews yep, <laughs> from yep. Brazil. Um, and I mean, they're just high definition video, like they're sitting right here. But anyway, we got a lot of updates about conditions there. And I really think we're probably way ahead of the curve because USDA won't come out with their next WASD update until the second week in February here. And so I, th I think we have a little lead time on what our participants found out on that tour and we talked about it on our podcasts here uh, through the Comstock channel and <clears throat> we posted on YouTube and several other venues too, like Facebook and TikTok. Um, and I guess you can also uh, find links just through Comstock or Comstock.com. Right. And uh, they're analysts. So we talk about it a lot, but um, anyway, we do that. And, and I may talk about, Oh, maybe some, Oh, some stories about how young people are getting the incentive to come back to the farm and maybe different ways that they're making money that are maybe non-traditional, but it might be some ways to look at. Uh, I'm doing stories about taxes and that sort of thing, uh, about how you can protect your bottom line, yeah. ag law and that yeah. sort of thing. So yeah. that's what I cover. I, I think you've had a podcast with my friend Roger McGowan on, on either ag law or ag taxes or both. So uh... But, yeah. Uh, but, uh, okay. Well, uh, Marlon, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsored message, and we'll come back and uh, uh, go over a few other items. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diming Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know RoboAgra Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site, or if it's purchasing the next field, 
we're able to turn to Rabo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Rabo Agar Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Rabo Agar Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Neefe, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Mar Marlon Bowling from Tennessee. So, Marlon, you know, when I get close to the end of these podcasts, I always have about three or four key questions that I like to ask. So the first one is, uh, did you have any mentors either in farming or in broadcasting or, 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 you know, just any mentors that you look back on? Oh boy. Um, one of the icons that I just, I never could get past that had a huge influence on me growing up. Um, believe it or not was Paul Harvey. Mm, yep. yep. I, I love Paul Harvey. I, I used to just drive 80 miles an hour on dirt roads to get home in time to turn on the radio over the noon hour when Paul's program would come on. And I loved his storytelling. I loved his, uh, pregnant pauses that he relied on. Yep. Um, I just thought his style was great. And uh, I always appreciated that. And, and that really struck a chord with me. Um, so I, I learned a lot from listening to him. And another one, once I got into the radio business that I, I learned a lot from was uh, Dave Thorell out there in Nebraska at KRVN and, and the Rural Radio Network. He was a longtime broadcaster. He's in the Nebraska Broadcasters Hall of Fame now, but <clears throat> he was totally unflappable. And I learned the art of not getting flustered from him, just watching him work under adverse conditions. Like maybe the computer would crash. Maybe something would go wrong in the studio and, and he just had to just sit there and ad lib, you know, for 10 minutes or something and just talk off the top of his head, but it was relevant information. But he would never just go off the deep end and, and throw up his hands like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't do this or anything like that. You just deal with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was a, a great influence to me. Another one was uh, back out in Raleigh, Tony Rigsby was a sports broadcaster, but he was also uh, kind of a backup to my ag work. Tony has the honor of, of uh, I watched him one time do going to do a sports cast. And uh, these were all live on that news talk station. And he went to uh, rip and read all of his uh, sports information that he had typed up the script and everything for what he was going to do. It was a five minute program. <clears throat> and he went to uh, get it off of the printer as he was heading toward the studio and the printer jammed and it, he couldn't get his reports out of there. <laughs> and he, just threw up his hands in disgust in the newsroom there. He was just so upset over that. And all of his script was in there. So he went in the news booth there and he had to turn on the mic at the designated time. And he, I watched him. I didn't know what he was going to do. And he sat there and he folded his hands on the counter by the mixing board. And he literally just closed his eyes and recited 
everything from all the baseball games the night before. <laughs> he knew all the batters, all the pitchers. He knew everybody's batting average. He knew everybody that hit a home run or the highlights of every game because he, he actually was the uh, PA voice of the Durham Bulls, mm. believe it or not, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but he, he knew it all off the top of his head. And he did five minutes, totally ad lib. He had no notes or anything. It was all from memory. And that was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. Yeah, so I kind of incorporated that into my market talk. Uh, I may have had notes with me, but I had to recall a lot of that data off the top of my head. It, it I thought is, that was pretty cool. It is. You know, it's interesting. I, I've had clients, you know, over the years, they'll call up or they'll come into the office and they'll say, Paul, you're not going to remember this, but you know, we have this piece of ground and we're getting ready to sell it. And I'll say, well, is that ground you bought in 1986 for like $322,000? And they go, how do you remember that? And I go, well, I can remember <laughs> that, but I can't remember your name. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, if it's, a, if it's got a number associated with it, I'm pretty good on that. So, uh, but, uh, um, well, good. How about, uh, do you have time for any hobbies? Oh boy. Um, we're kind of easing into, uh, as I was getting closer to retirement age, we did buy uh, a little pull type camper last year. So we're kind of dabbling in that a little bit. Of course, I, I've always been an electronics nut. You know, I grew up that way. Yeah. Um, nearly got struck by lightning when I was a little kid and, and, uh, you know, I'm getting caught or I've gotten caught in, uh, extension cords and stuff like that about got fried. I don't know why that just piqued my interest <laughs> in electricity. So anything electronic related, I'm fascinated by that, um, you know, newer technology and that sort of thing. But I love space, anything space related. I'm, I'm kind of a, a space nut in that regard. But other than that, I'm probably just boring. I love humor and a lot of people like to watch TV. I'll only watch TV if it's a comedy usually. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or maybe okay. a, maybe a sports event. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's weird. I, people trying to get me to watch reality shows and to this day, I've never watched one all the way through. I always say I, my days are stressful enough. I don't need to add to it by watching people go under stress. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I just, even if it's not real, but you yeah, know, I mean, they, to me, comedy is everything. And I like to incorporate that into what I do, uh, gosh, on RFD TV and, and all my radio sites. I mean, I, I always tried to incorporate humor just to lighten things up a, a little bit. I, yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell people, well, beans are down 40 cents today and well, you know, you got to keep them from jumping off a bridge, but I mean, you have to add a little bit of levity to everything. And so that's kind of been a challenge, but I, I love that my family history, um, you know, luckily it's in my genes because the whole family loves to laugh. And so yeah. I try and carry that into what I do. Yeah. Well, if you think uh, talking about commodities can put them to sleep, talk about taxes for eight hours without throwing a little <laughs> bit of jokes in there. You know, that's that's uh, that, that's a tough chore at times. So, yeah, you, know, you is, would lose me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I can make it interesting. I can make it interesting. <laughs> um, is there anything that keeps you up at night? Oh, world events. World events. And, and that always worries about or that worries me about how they will spill over into the agricultural yeah. realm. Yeah. I mean, like the Middle East heating up right now, that keeps yeah. me up at night. You know, when is the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. Um, 
is that going to eventually cause oil prices to go crazy, which would maybe throw ripples into the ag commodity markets or, you know, availability of food and that sort of thing. I mean, there's just so much tension. Um, oh my gosh. My great grandpa was a state Senator in Nebraska. So there are politics in, in my family background. <clears throat> I honestly hate them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I've always tried to be, totally independent. I mean, I don't lean one way or the other. I just try and stay out of all that business. And you don't want to go down one road or another anyway, when you do reports, because why? I mean, you would alienate half of your audience. I mean, yeah. everything is pretty well split nowadays anyway. So I like to just give the facts and not take a side or anything. I just want to tell people what the information is. I think that's the important takeaway. Yeah. But yeah, stuff like that will just it, it will keep me up at night um, just worrying about, uh, you know, how things are going to shake out because 2024, uh, the economy just really has me worried right now. And so it, it could be kind of a tough road to hoe by the yeah. time we get to the end of this year. Here. Yeah. Especially on the farm side. So, uh, yeah. and then finally, what's your definition of success in farming or in business or in what you do? Well, to me, success is not, being a gazillionaire i mean that that could be a good gauge of how good of a manager you are you know if, if you can make all kinds of money at it more power to you and kudos to you but you know when you ride into the sunset at the end of the game that's not what's important um to me it's more important uh, the relationships you build in, in your family, like you were talking about, and, uh, you know, your friends and that sort of thing. That's what people remember you for, not your bank account. Yeah. So if you're successful in that and in, in building a lot of bridges and, uh, you know, helping a lot of people out, uh, I think that'll get you further in the long run. Yeah. yeah, totally agree. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? No, it's, it's just that I'd, I'd like to uh, get across to people uh, to hang in there. I mean, I went through the 80s and it was it was tough. It was terrible. Um, I mean, the economy was bad. We had the crazy high interest rates. Yep. I remember you had to farm for the government program for years on end. You yep. couldn't make a profit. The only way you could make any money was to uh, plant according to what the set-aside programs were or what the pick and roll rates yeah. were back then. I know these younger farmers don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah. They're going, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, that is when I got into uh, uh, learning about markets, by the way, I didn't mention that uh, in 19, the mid 1980s, I uh, was the first district rep for DTN and back before it was called DTN, it was called mm. data line way back then. <laughs> and uh, that was when you had to pick it up on an FM subcarrier, and I had to put up antennas to pick it up. Yeah. Eventually, they went to satellite when they got all modern and everything. But um, anyway, but what when I did that, then I learned about how the markets worked, and uh, I put on the very first marketing seminar where I invited people in from Illinois, and and uh, back then the ASCS office, we talked about pick and roll strategies and everything back in the mid 1980s. Yep, yep. And uh, actually the company, DTM company liked the idea so well, they took the ball and ran with it. Now they do their own national meetings and stuff. Yep. But 
But, uh, you know, I like to hang my hat on that. Uh, my state manager and myself put one together in a little town of 100 people, which, by the way, now has 83 people. It says <laughs> on the sign. That's... We had 150 people show up from about 50 miles around. And I was pretty impressed by that. So they were hungry for the information. Yeah, yeah. No, those little towns, they're important. Uh, I grew up on a farm outside of Dixie, Washington, population about 130. And I think it's similar to that town that you were talking about. It's probably 120 right now. So, Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we have that in common. Yeah. By the yeah. way, shout out to the old hometown of Byron, Nebraska. Uh, my farm was on the Kansas side of the road. But the only town close by was on the other side of the road. <laughs> That's where I went to high school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I had a Nebraska address, even though I lived in Kansas. It really it threw a monkey wrench into anybody that wanted to ask for your ID. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I grew up, uh, you know, we we lived a mile outside of Dixie. I had a Waitsburg address and a Walla Walla phone number. So uh, and that was yeah. back when we had party lines. So, uh, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> well, Marlon, this has been great. Uh, I think maybe we might have another podcast down the road and uh, we'll get caught up on some other stuff. Well, that would be very cool. I appreciate that. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Again, this is the Top Producer Podcast, and this is Paul Nee for your host, signing off. Wow.